What I would say to you is Starfleet has been a lifelong dream of many, myself included. If it is not your path, you might consider making way for someone else who wants to walk it. I'm Eddie Webb. And I'm Chris Spivey. And today we're going to talk about episode two of Strange New Worlds here on Genreless. Welcome to episode two of what was going to be a one-off special and it's probably going to be the entire season of Strange New Worlds at this rate. That's a bold statement. Honestly, I just, I've been really enjoying every episode so far. So, I mean, unless it really tanks, I feel like we're probably going to talk about all of them. I mean, so we're talking about Children of the Comet, which is uh, episode two. And because of our release schedule, we're going to increasingly become out of sync of, of the uh, Strange New Worlds. So um, it'll be a couple of weeks past. Uh, so um, as far as we know, people are listening to this. Things are still going well. Uh, but we're recording this like five days after it launched. So it's still really fresh to us. Um, and I honestly, I still really dug this episode. Well, what did you think of it? Uh, enjoyed it quite a bit, actually. And um a lot of Uhura's story in some of the comments that she made really struck home for me. Okay. Uh, about was, being, would... uh, having uh, a le- overly honest and, and blunt in conversations, basically. Yes. I, I liked your line about um, she was unburdened by conversational boundaries. And when I heard that, I was like, that is me. And I've been told that quite a bit. <laughs> Um, so actually, I'm gonna I'll, I'll, I'll kind of walk through uh, the synopsis, but um, I'm probably gonna stop a lot because, frankly, there's a lot of things. And Uhura is definitely uh, kind of like the main character of the episode, so I, I, I want to talk about Uhura a lot. But there's other things else I want to talk about. Um, so the episode opens uh, with Uhura is invited to a meal with the other crew members in Flex quarters. She's been kind of razzed uh, because she was told it's uh, she might want to wear her dress uniform, but it turns out it's not, no one else wearing a dress uniform. In fact, many of them aren't even in uniform at all. Uh, but it's kind of a, a polite rubbing. Everyone's like, oh, hey, the dress uniform. Um, and uh, it's uh, basically Pike with the bridge crew, but they like to invite some other members of the crew to kind of sit in every once in a while. Um, and uh, just the, the, the scene is basically her kind of getting comfortable with the crew being a little uncomfortable with the crew. Uh, she meets some of the various different crew members a little bit more. Uh, uh, Captain Pike asks her where she sees herself in 10 years. Uh, and she actually admits that she's unsure about her future in Starfleet, uh, because she mainly joined as a way to escape from the pain of her parents' death. Uh, and then it leads to a scene where Spock gives the line that I just gave, but I kind of want to stop there because that summary glosses over a fantastic scene. Uh, it's, I don't think I've seen an episode of kind of the captain's dinner table, but I know that's a maritime tradition if I'm not mistaken. So um, as, as folks know, we're figuring out how we're going to be doing these as this is sort of a new show and format. Mm-hmm. I was waiting to see, did you want to give like a full synopsis of the episode or do you want to do it how we okay. usually just scope sort of piece by piece? Actually, I'll, actually, that's a good point. Let me go through the whole episode and then we can just bounce around because that probably is better. Um, so, okay. Uh, so, it's uh, my long silence, which is unusual for me. 
It's fair. It's fair. Uh, so, um, the, the 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 plot of the story happens. Uh, there's a, a comet that's heading towards a planet uh, which has some inhabitants, but is still largely desolate. And so, it's kind of a day at the office. And it's like you know, they're they're it's like oh, it's, it's it's a concern. We have to be professional about this, but also it's like we'll just blow the comet up and move on. You know, not a big deal. So they uh, shoot the comet and it has a force field. A force field comes up around the comet at in response to their fire, and that's unusual. Uh, we get the opening sequence. We come back. Um, they do they do the usual kind of stand around on board and talk about the science, the problem. Uh, and so they decide to get an away team. Uh, Uhura is up on away team rotation as a cadet, which was an interesting concept. Uh, so she is on the team with uh, Sam Kirk, xenobiologist that uh, we talked about last episode, um, and then Spock and security chief soon. Uh, they transport to... Um, the comet surface, Kirk, being a Kirk, walks up to a cool thing and goes, I'm going to poke it, uh, which activates a failsafe. Um, he gets injured. The shields raise again, and that blocks the transporter beams. As a response to this, a starship appears of aliens calling themselves shepherds, and they're basically escorting uh, the comet. Um, then they can basically put themselves between the comet and the Enterprise, make some threats. Uh, and they basically say that they believe the comet that should be a being named Muhammad, uh, and is kind of an arbiter of life. And, and their argument is that if the comet lands on the planet, then it has decreed that the life should die. If the comet bypasses, then decrees that life should live. Um, Pike is skeptical of this, uh, and they are having none of it. And basically, uh, it's clear that they have superior firepower and shields, if not maneuverability. Uh, so, um, back on the, uh, Mahanet, uh, Pac, Spock gives a pep talk badly. Uh, Uhura is trying to uh, decode the different markings on here because there's enough of a similarity there. They suspect it might be a language. Um, she has a habit of humming while nervous and they realize that, uh, the, and the asteroid is responding to her music. Uh, and so they actually go through a cool scene of, of trying different chords. And she realizes that the structure, the markings may actually be musical notation. And she uses it to kind of convince the entity to lower its shields and they beam back the party. Uh, the shepherds, uh, because there was a party on there. Uh, they were told you can't interfere with them. When they beam the party back, uh, the, the shepherds say, you, you, you violated what we told you to do, so we're going to attack. Um, the Enterprise is overpowered, but it is more maneuverable, so they manage to kind of get away from it. Uh, they come up with a plan where the Enterprise fakes a power failure, uh, and they, they basically shut down everything. Um, they have smoke coming out, and then Pike talks to the shepherds and says, we're defenseless. Uh, you know, you should you should come rescue us. And like, why would we do that? And it's like, well, because if we blow up, we're going to blow up your comet. So um, <laughs> the the trilithium blah, 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 will go to the bloody bloop. And um, I mean, it's a techno babble. Uh, and the shepherd's like, okay, fine, I guess we'll tow you. Uh, and so while this is happening, um, Spock uh, skims out in a shuttlecraft and actually takes a chunk of ice and throws it in the path of the comet to deflect it away from the planet. Uh, so, um, Pike the whole time is like, we promise you, we will not touch your asteroid anymore. And then the ice chunk happens. Like we did not touch it. That was 
we use an energy beam to deflect something else into the path of it. Clearly, it was fate. You know, it's it's, it's clear he's he's rules layering, which is hilarious. Uh, um, but uh, as it passes by the planet, it releases water vapor into the atmosphere, and actually, they they recognize that it will. Uh, I think the words are used aerate, um, but basically make. Uh, of the planet more sustainable for conditions that will allow things to actually grow. It would not be as arid as it was previously. And the shepherds are like, you know, how, how do you know this is not the act of a godlike being? Um, you know, they, th- this, this comet chose to give this planet life. And then they, they leave. And Pike's kind of like, doesn't really have an answer for that. So they start talking about how much of that was coincidence? And they're still inclined. Like, well, you know, it was a coincidence. Uh, Uhura has decoded the music from the, the comet using the computer system, and they found that actually the messages they're getting from the comet was a flight plan and uh, showed the, the comet bypassing the planet, which was before any of the stuff with Spock actually happened. And so it's like, well, that, so that's what the comet wanted was to miss the planet. And then they're like, well, again, just kind of a coincidence. Um, but then it shows that um, uh, part of piece of the code shows the chunk of ice that Spock grabbed, the exact same chunk of ice. And again, it was, this was long before Spock actually enacted his plan. Uh, so it's like, are you saying the comet foretold Spock would alter its course? And they kind of just leave that hanging there. Uh, and then the final scene is uh, Pike's in his office and he's, thinking about his flashbacks and uh, he starts calling up the names of various cadets that he is destined to save uh, by his sacrifice, but they're still in their, they're still children at this point. Um, and so just thinking about what's going to happen to him in this decade before he has the accident he has seen. So that's the episode. Now we will rewind and start talking about things. Um, I still, I still do want to talk about the the captain's table scene because there's a lot of really good things happening in that scene. One of which is they made a smart move to make Uhura the, the, the viewpoint character for second episode. There, there's a lot of good reasons I think that particularly happened. Um, and by having her interact with the more established crew, it not only gives us a better insight into her character but also it's a very clever way to allow the audience to come up to speed to these other crew members without, in, without it being an info dub. And it you also dynamics and replay between them. Go ahead. As you're mentioning, it's a great way to also serve the other characters because knowing who would come to a social function in uniform compared to who wouldn't come in uniform. is mm-hmm. also telling about that character. Like for instance, number one is there in uniform. Well, I think everyone else other than Uhura, who is sort of pranked to be in her class A's, uh, is not in uniform. So that highlights that character also and what sort of discipline and rigidness that she must either adhere to or hold herself to to like perform her duties and tasks. Uh, Spock is also in uniform. I thought Spock was dressed down for some reason. No, Spock was and also the engineer was. The blind engineer. Um, which was another moment I liked uh, is uh, the engineer. I thought he was Andorian, but apparently it's a different alien race because they mentioned the name and I did not write it down. I think they're uh, a subspecies of Andorian. Oh, they are. Okay. Then that makes more sense. 
Sorry, there, there's my gamer for you as I was breaking no, down the things. I, I, th- I want to say in Enterprise with Archer, they they showed up oh. as I, I watched a lot of Enterprise. I, I, in fact, enjoyed the cheesy theme for Enterprise. That is wow! how little of a real, as people would say, quotation marks, real Star Trek fan I am. <laughs> um, to be fair, the Andorians are, are, are kind of a blank spot for me. So that, 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 that's good. That, that stitches us together. Um, so as we're as I'm on a game story, I'm going to tell you this story regardless. Um, the the time I got to play sort of an old school Star Trek game, I got to be captain. I don't know why you would like me be your captain or everyone, as I have zero Star Trek knowledge. Uh, I chose Nidorian <laughs> as nice. the captain of my Enterprise vessel, and mm-hmm. we had hand to hand combat training in the halls for all the troops. But then I would also do like a round table for all the senior staff and everything that we'd come in and discuss. But it was very much like a Marshall ship that had a, a friendly vibe under it nice because i think endorians are awesome mm-hmm. mostly because of jeffrey combs playing endorians but i digress oh okay I'll, i got now nah, nah, i have to watch enterprise i guess um but one of the things i liked about that scene is uh uh, 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 he, uh he's um chopping up some stuff and she's like let me help and he's like i, I don't need help and she's like i was taught to help people and she's skirting around the word handicapped uh, or just disabled, let's say. Um, she, she's skirting around that word, uh, but he cuts her off and it's like, it's because I'm lying and, and I don't need your help. And they talk about how uh, he's compensated for it. And Spock actually comes in and kind of backs him up a little bit. It's like, in some ways, actually, his senses are superior now as a result of this. And talks about how he uses a little telepathy sometimes to uh, help out with things. Like, for example, Spock throws him a knife and he catches, and the Andorian catches it. Um, and it's like, I, I heard your thought being broadcast. Like I, I, I meant for you to. It was a cool moment of showcasing a disabled character not in a position of weakness. It was very comfortable with their relationship with their disability um, without removing the fact that he is disabled. You see, I have found ways around this. It doesn't make me better. It doesn't make me worse. I'm just different. Uh, it also and, felt... Go ahead. It also felt like it's something that they had done before to new yes. people that came aboard the ship. That mm-hmm. is a beat that I liked because there is a trope there that frequently places black characters in situations where they're offending or doing something to other characters. Okay. And I could go into it. It's a, it's a longer story, but you frequently have black characters that come in and they try to like switch the ism around and I'm glad that it had that feeling. This is something that we're not doing to this character because of this, even in the writing. But it is like something we've done before to help initiate people in and get them to understand something, right. which I think was excellent writing. Yeah. It, they didn't come across that they didn't do it because she was black. They did it because she's a cadet. Um, and it's like there's a great line where uh, she's like, oh, you have psychic powers because you're answering a question. It's like, no, it's because I get asked it all the time, which helps to sell this is a conversation or a bit that always happens at these dinners. And there was a lot of other things unrelated to that scene that kind of established that there's a ebb and flow to these dinners that happen on a regular basis. So you never feel like this is all specifically to Rib Uhura. This is just the, oh, you're just the latest cadet. And the next cadet that walks to the door is going to go through a very similar experience. 
And then it's also nice how that is counterbalanced by the fact they're saying that only a dozen odd cadets get assigned to starships a year. Mm-hmm. So that shows you that even though it's sort of a hazing that they do, it is a very small amount of hazing. Yeah. Which sort of helps redefine everything even again to show you how tight knit the group must be to have this sort of camaraderie that they're always pretty much together working. And you get the joke between the captain and number one about having them assigned to different ships and how sometimes that's confusing. And number one saying that's only happened once that like right. builds in more of that sort of we're friends and service people together feeling. Yeah. And I think that one of the ways this seems really well is that um, it would have been so easy to have a be the only character who's ex- showing uh, flaws, but in fact, most of the characters in it scene on some level are expressing flaws. Uh, you know, like Spock not getting the humor of the awkward story that Pike tells. Like you said, Pike referencing number one, making a mistake at some point in the past. Um, uh, the pilot, uh, Ortegas, making comments of, oh, I also dressed up for the first meeting. You know, uh, uh, they're all expressing their their vulnerabilities in different ways. Uh, so it's, 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 it, it did so much to tell you about the dynamics of the crew in a very short scene that I just can't get over how well that scene was structured. I could have watched that scene for 20 minutes of the show and had the rest of it be like another 20 if they would have wanted to have done that. Just from I like the dynamics. I will watch an entire it. season of Pike's fucking dinner parties. I am not even kidding. I will not go that far. <laughs> I'll watch an entire episode of Pike's Dinner Party. <laughs> but I mean, it's, it, um, but also just little things like um, one of the things that classic Star Trek did not do very well that later Star Treks do that this is doing better is making the ship feel like a home. Uh, because classic Star Trek was very much workplace drama, right? It's, this is the place we work and we, we do our jobs and it's great. And that's fine. I mean, nothing wrong with that. That's just the tone of it. This very much feels more like we have to live here for five years. We have to take things into consideration. And, and this is a crew that doesn't have things like a holodeck for recreation. So we've got to find some ways to blow off steam. We've got to find some way to build camaraderie. And it makes sense that the bridge crew would have dinner together once in a while. We need to have a relationship outside of our work on the bridge. What I liked though, is they point out specifically that it's just not the bridge crew. Right. Mm-hmm. That was a, a very nice touch. I don't know if any of the, any of the other series had done, even when they do things together. Which it could be because back then when you're script writing, you just sort of stuck to your primary cast and you made that a thing. I think some of the people that we've interacted with, or at least that were there, may never show up again. Like that random random Starfleet person is Joe Schmo from so-and-so. Mm-hmm. And it was nice to see. Yeah, I mean, um, uh, it never really, Kirk never really got into it. Um, so it's kind of a, a non-issue. Uh, Picard was specifically insulated from it. Like, he famously didn't even sit down with his own crew until the final episode of season seven. So that was a character arc for him specifically. Um, Janeway 
was in kind of a special circumstance. Uh, she had to spend more time getting two different crews to work together. Uh, so her, a lot of her focus was on the bridge crew primarily because half of them were basically uh, militants. So she had to kind of get them all on the same page. So that was where a lot of her focus was. Um, I think, honestly, we keep going back to this, but I think Cisco is probably the closest to that because the nature of his job as an administrator, he needed to be a more open character. And so it's like, yes, I'll have our Kardashian Taylor come into my office and express his concerns, you know? So we, we can safely say that Cisco is the best Starfleet captain. I We, we established this last time, and I, stand, I, I think we still agree on that point. But this is technically a new season now. This is like an inner a 2.5 season. Oh, I so I need to like reestablish it. I'll find a way to bring it up in the anime season two. I don't know how yet. But it's- <laughs> I, I, I will say that, um, and this may cause a fight. Pike is acting more Kirk like in this episode than in the previous episode. We talked before about kind of the weight of commands was kind of really prevalent in the first episode. And you see a lot more of the kind of joie de vivre of, of Pike in this. I don't, it wasn't bad at all. Um, but like him, like doing the aside to number one, going, I love my job. Um, or like when the crew are bouncing around ideas and how to put, break down the, the um, force view kind of just looks at them and goes, sure. That sounds like a good plan. Let's do that. It's great. We'll do that. All um, right. I'm going to push back a little bit on that one. Okay. I give you, he was a lot more Kirk like in this episode, mm-hmm. which part of it goes because at the end of last episode, we sort of had that resolute moment where he decided to be a captain again. But, right. What I'm going to push back on, Kirk did not really take his crew's opinions to heart and interact with them. That's more of a Cisco thing, or maybe even the little bit I know, I think Janeway did that too from a couple episodes I saw. Mm-hmm. Kirk and Picard, less Picard, but more Kirk, were like, this is what we should do. That That's what you think? Great. I think we do this, and that is what they would do. Or back in the 60s, where Shatner was taking over more of the show, Kirk would tell engineering what the the engineering task as he was taking more of their lines. Pike has some Kirk suave to him, but it feels more like other captains. No, I mean, that is fair. I I was focusing more on his charisma and uh, friendliness. Um, The fact that he runs a less formal crew. um, The the fact that he uh, jokes with people. Um, A lot of his conversations with Spock in terms of, humor um do feel more kind of classic in that respect uh so it's not he is kirk he's still his own captain i completely agree with him on that i'm just saying that it, it's more he, he's i can see why kirk would look up to this captain and want to emulate his command style is more where i'm going I, I can see that this being kind of a good point of someone going, okay you seem to be an effective captain i could see why this works for you let me try to emulate that in my own way and then kirk James Kirk does his own kind of thing with that. Uh, Which, but given, I think also it's somewhat for the audience and for the show itself to, to make him a more likable, charismatic person. I could watch either version of Pike, this one or the one where he's grizzled, hard bitten and has like gruff words to say to everyone for an entire two seasons and not be mm-hmm. bothered by it. But right. that would also then mean the show would probably last one season. <laughs> One of the things I think that does well, and the reason why I kind of bring it up, is that um, if Pike had continued on the I'm going to tell you how to do your jobs line, which could have very easily gone down, um, 
it becomes much like you said, late Shatner Star Trek, where basically Kirk ends up running the whole ship by himself. By him having a much more kind of open, friendly style, it allows the rest of the supporting cast to show how cool they are. And I think it's really important in an ensemble cast, especially when you only have 10 episodes, to be able to say, no, all these characters are amazing in their own way, and Pike respects them to do their jobs well. So by having that kind of style of like, what do you think we should do? Okay, that sounds good. Do that. Makes them the center of the decision. Like again, Ortega's um, you know, have, having her own flight plan. And it's like, pattern Ortega's, I guess. You know, I mean, it was, it was a, a fun <laughs> moment, but also shows, I just, just pilot the ship. I just trust you to, to get us out of the situation. I'm not going to make her manage you. It also goes back to if they were not exceptional people that are like the best in their field, they would not be on the flagship of the Federation. Right. Mm-hmm. And that was a nice way to reinforce that without saying too bluntly saying that over and over again. Yeah. I also liked, we talked about this last episode too. Um, the balance of moral conflict and action still seems to be dialed in very well in this because I mean, on the one hand, there was a spaceship battle. Uh, there was, you know, uh, being trapped in a locked room, you know, there, an injured crewman. There, there was definitely stakes on the table, and there were action adventure stakes involved in the episode. But ultimately, it's about trying to talk to a giant hunk of rock, and arguing on whether that rock is alive or not, and or God. It was, it was, again, very classic in that regard, and. Just when I thought a scene needed to wrap up, it felt like it was wrapping up. And no scene was sticking around too long. There wasn't too much either end. Uh, even the the, um, the the fight with the, the Shepherd ship, some of the camera angles were just really interesting. And watching the Enterprise just kind of zoom and flip around was like, that's just really cool. But it wasn't like 20 minutes and it wasn't like 30 seconds. It was just the right length. The other part about that was really interesting is as you sort of touched on like the moral quandary of it, but also how much do you respect someone's faith and belief and where mm-hmm. does that fine line end? It reminded me a lot of some different Babylon five episodes. I know in the first season there was one called the believers, which is a, a smaller comparison to this, but there was a alien family and their kid got sick and they took their kid to sick bay. And the doctor said, all we have to do is give them basically like a flu shot and your kid will be fine. And mm-hmm. the family says, that's against our religion. And it's right. that constant quandary about what do you do versus what don't you do. And this had sort of a similar vibe to it because there is there's shepherds who whose belief is that this thing is a god and it will do the right thing regardless. And then you have the Enterprise crew that's like, we need to save these people. And even if it infringes on your belief, we still need to save these people. And it was nice to see that balance again. And it's one of the better things about sci-fi, I think, is how you can constantly retell that moral quandary story in so many different ways. And I think the ending was good because um, it had enough doubt that you can kind of go directions. Like the Pike was kind of like not disbelieving, but he was still like, I don't, I don't know if I agree with the assessment that seems to be coming up here, but like this is predestined. Um, and like, and I watched it. Actually, I watched it twice. Uh, and I came away with was like, 
I could have seen an argument for uh, the the comet going, hey, buddy, I need to go over here. Could you please grab that rock and throw it at me so I can move over there, please? I could have seen that whole thing as, could you please help me out with this? Um, but I could see an argument for the comet predestines. And it's like, it saw in the future that this was going to happen and communicated that. There was enough ambiguity that either side could find an argument for themselves, which I think is, is a good way of telling that story. It wasn't like, no, religion is stupid, which, frankly, a lot of early Star Trek lands on. Like, religion is dumb and you shouldn't do it. Uh, this or, is much more, uh, maybe? Or it could also be that it leans into the sort of the psychic aspect of it because you have someone with near precognitive abilities at the start of the episode and Pike is dealing with future visions. So precog mm-hmm. and you come back to the ship that could have just had advanced systems that were letting it do precognitive abilities through calculations. True. And the beginning of the episode, I thought this was just now, but the episode reestablished that Spock has mild psychic powers. For all we know, he subconsciously picked up on this plan from the comet and enacted it, not realizing it, where the idea came from. Mm-hmm. So there's a lot of options. It, it gives you enough that it, it's, it's, it definitely has closure. You don't feel like they didn't decide to write an ending. There's a clear ending to this. Um, the, the, the shepherd thing is a little truncated, but I don't, I'm not, it doesn't bother me as much. It's like, I feel like they, they face turn too quickly, but whatever. And it wasn't that big of a deal. There's a lot going on in this episode. Um, <laughs> But in the end, I feel like it was, like I say, it gives you something to think about, which is, is really, both episodes have done that so far. But we're skipping over the most important parts of the entire show. Nurse Chapel flirting with Spock. I was a bit of about pointing that, out yes. your girlfriend. <laughs> yeah, last episode, I was like, I don't see it. And this episode's like, hey, Eddie, by the way, they're fucking flirting. <laughs> Thanks. <laughs> Thanks, episode. Thanks for clearing that up for me. I appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> but it was it was it was, it was honestly it was funny um, because she's joking with the rest of the crew but it's clear that it goes up a notch with Spock and then having the rest of the crew call that out and him going I don't know what you're talking about is, is, is just genuinely funny and part of me is curious if they're going to turn that into sort of a a love for Angle um, Spock's betrothed mm-hmm. chapel and Uhura and Spock, or are they going to make it a five angle and go into the, like the shippers and have Spock, Uhura chapel, his betrothed and Kirk. Right. Not Sam. No, okay. no, James. No, no. Uh, George. Sorry. I think, uh, uh, it is Sam actually. I checked. Okay. Um, uh, and uh, no, we all know that James Kirk and Spock are, are the true couple that will live through the ages. I mean, that's where shipping started, right? I mean, <laughs> Kirk, Spock, that, the word slash fic comes from those fiction being demoted by the words Kirk slash Spock. See, so, so in my head canon, that's what they're going to go for. It's going to be a fipple. I, I don't know if it's a word. I just made it trademark. Uh, yeah, it'll be interesting. Um, I 
that's one thing I was actually wondering is because the Spock horror thing is so a much a part of the movies. But, you know, the movies are 15 years old now. And for a lot of people, that's what they think Star Trek is. So I'm wondering if they go the classic route where the horror Spock stuff only really happened kind of in one episode. And that was under mind control circumstances. Uh, so it could just be left on the floor or it could be, okay, well, this is what people expect of these characters now. So maybe we need to toy with that. Um, I admit, I don't know if I want to have most of the female cast fawning over one character. <laughs> it's a people like, uh, but it does help that they're having one thing that's interesting is the number one Pike relationship is that they establish that they are very good friends. It's super clear. Um, he confides in her in a way that he does not confide in anybody else in the show. Um, he clearly has a romantic relationship with another Star Trek cap Starfleet captain. So my hope is that they just remain good friends. They establish a man and a woman can just be friends and there's not to be a romantic subtext. But I also think that there might be a direction that that path where they might want to go that way. I don't know. Or they, I think they may also try to do what they did with B5 for the season. Five. I keep referencing B5 now um, for a season five of Babylon five, where the commander that takes over Babylon five is a former wife of Sheridan. Mm -hmm. And now they're just friends. So there could have been something early on that they lead to where they might've oh, yeah. been like romantically involved. And now they've become friends and like, that's nothing, but it just gives them that that one time that had intimacy, but now it's become something stronger for them and allows them to function together as a great team aboard the ship. Right. If oh, they want to do that or have no relationship at all. Yeah. Speaking of number one, um, her uniform getting reminded me last episode of this, I had talked about how they had phased, they didn't have the um, mini skirt design for the women this time. And I realized this episode that actually have kind of a middle grounds where some of the uh, female presenting characters had the longer um, tops that flared out, but they're wearing pants underneath of them. And I thought that was an interesting way to kind of still nod towards that design, but not actually have every female crew member in a miniskirt. They're just doing like so many things right that it is astounding. Mm -hmm. Like they listen to people and they got great writers and great writers got great actors and they got great directors and entire cast and crew production and they're making great quality TV. Honestly, yeah, this was when they first announced they were doing Discovery. I think the reason why I'm disappointed with Discovery is because I wanted Discovery to be this show. And I've actually started watching I'm now to season two, finally, of Discovery. And I, I have grown to appreciate it in its own right. Um, and it's clear Paramount's doing the kind of the cinematic universe is the, the buzzword right now. Um, because you have that, you have Picard, you have um, uh, Lower Decks, you have uh, Prodigy. Here's, here's all the different ways that we can slide the show. And I'm glad this took a few years to figure out all the other stuff in Star Trek. So then when they go back to the classic formula, they can do it so much better. Cause I think if they had started with this show, it would not be nearly as, as polished and put together as this show is. Also Spock's sideburns are amazing. 
I mean, to go down the curve at the bottom, it's just 70s tastic. I love it. <laughs> no, uh, it's, it's just great. Is there anything else that you wanted to talk about? I don't think so. It's it's one episode. So I, I am amazed yeah. how much we can praise one episode. So part of me is like, I don't want to praise it too much. But then again, it is so rare to have something that has hit so many sweet spots and mm-hmm. is done so well that it feels like you should laud all the praise on it that you possibly can. Absolutely. Because we will definitely give all the negativity to something if it deserves it. No, that's true. But I mean, frankly... As much as I hate to say this, a lot of streaming networks, they usually have like one or two shows. Everyone's like, you have to get the network for this show. And right now, I think this is this is worth getting Paramount Plus for. Well, Even as if someone you, that just wrote a Western book, I got to say they have a select large selection of Western movies. And Ghost is a pretty funny comedy show that's an American version of the British show. Oh, okay. Fair enough. I mean, there's other stuff on there, certainly. But I know this is the main reason why I have Paramount Plus right now. Uh, um, that that and Voyager because Voyager is no longer on Netflix. You're uh, just trying to get me to watch Voyager. I can see that now. Uh, I have complicated opinions about Voyager, but um, I have said I think maybe even on this podcast that uh, if you like really bonkers Trek, Voyager is definitely in that vein, especially later Voyager. Um, because I mean, like, on the one hand, you know. Like, for example, this show is like, you know, this is really interesting, cool show about uh, what if this comet is actually alive or a god and all the philosophy behind it. And Voyager goes, yeah, but what happens if you break the work barrier and turn into a salamander person and have sex with your captain? <laughs> <laughs> so it's an acquired taste. But, you know, there's an episode where the, the half Klingon engineer literally storms the Klingon afterworld to find her mother. So it's, it's a different tone of Star Trek, let us say. So it's more Farscape. It is a lot more Farscape in a lot of ways, actually, because it's also about a crew going through a a part of space. They have no knowledge of and are trying to figure things out as they make their way home. So it's also not good in a lot of places. I'll be the first person (laughs) to admit that. Um, but it, it, it is more fun than most people, I think, give it credit for. Let me but say that's the opposite of upselling, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> I am not here to, to, uh, praise uh, Voyager. I'm here to bury it. <laughs> uh, anyway, um, so yeah, let's just wrap this up. Let's, let's, uh, we will, uh, are we going to do episode three? What do you think? All right. We'll, we'll do episode three. If okay. if you're listening to this and you like us doing these episodes, tweet us and that'll determine if we keep doing them or it may not. It just really depends on our whimsy, but eh, we'll see. As long as it's good and we have time, we'll keep doing it. How's that? I, I honestly think it's going to be either it's, if, it, if it goes bad, we'll stop. Or if we just get bored of saying how amazing it is, we also stop. It's like, okay, it's, it's episode five. It's, it's the same stuff. It's also still really great. So... We're done. Here's five minute episode. We're done. <laughs> that may also happen. It's a good plan. I like but that. But until then, if people want to talk to you about how awesome Captain Pike is, where would they find you online? At darker underscore hue on Twitter, or you can come into the Discord where things have started hopping again. And I am talking about writing and Gen Con games and game mechanics. 
Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at Pugsteady. That's P-U-G-S-T-A-D-Y. You can find my work at Pugsteady.com. You can also find me hanging out in the Darker Hue Discord. Uh, and uh, we actually do have a Twitter for this podcast that I keep forgetting to mention. Um, it is Genreless Pod, yes? Well, you know, if we actually made a tweet with it, we could probably get some some traction on it. We just have it existing. Maybe, <laughs> maybe this week we tweet. Maybe. Maybe this is the time. Maybe this is the time. Tweet and uh, they will come. So um, you'll find us in one of those places. Uh, and otherwise, uh, we will catch you all later. Hit it. <laughs>